Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members, Eyal, emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers. So you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. I have Tom Hicks with us here to talk about Opportunity Zones. So Tom, why don't you hop in and tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Hi, thanks, Mike. Uh, Tom Hicks. I'm the managing director and co-founder of Mavis Group, a consulting firm uh, based in the D.C. area. Uh, prior to that, I was the um, acting undersecretary of the Navy for and performing the duties of the undersecretary of the Navy for about two and a half years. Uh, that was back, uh, ended in about 2017. And I think, you know, relative to this conversation, uh, we're seeing a lot of activity on opportunity zones in general. And I think there's some interesting applications for DOD and the federal government. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know there's a lot of people that have heard of Opportunity Zones and have absolutely no idea what it is. So why don't we start there? Why don't you tell our listeners what an Opportunity Zone is? Yeah, and it's interesting to get the, maybe a little bit of the history of it too, because it's a it's an interesting history. And, and, and so just a, what an Opportunity Zone is, uh, it's an economically distressed community where new investments uh, may be eligible for preferred tax treatment. And I'll get into what that preferred tax treatment is in a moment. Uh, this was established uh, by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in December of 2017. However, it has its history actually back into the prior administration uh, when it was introduced on the Senate floor by Senator Tim Scott uh, and Senator Cory Booker on opposite sides of the aisle, which kind of speaks to the bipartisan and uh, development of this uh, uh, of opportunity zones, which still exists today, um, it's 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 an effort that that I think both sides of the aisle um, are, are are in favor of. Part of the the interesting history, uh, as that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was kind of getting near the the end, the lore is, and this has been backed up by articles in Forbes magazine and other places. One Sean Parker of Napster fame and Facebook fame, if you will, mm-hmm. um, suggested that um, they include opportunity 
opportunity zones into the tax bill hmm. uh, because it wasn't able to make it through its original when it was originally put forward by Rep, or, or Senator Scott and Booker back in 2016. Uh, it did make its way into the bill. However, there was not a lot of supporting language in, in that. And so it was one of those uh, rare moments in uh, government legislation when um, a new program gets started and there's just not a lot of information about it. So the IRS hmm. worked double time and uh, has since to uh, since 2017 begin putting out the rules associated with that. Uh, and that's where we are today. Awesome. For those listening, most of our listeners are all government contractors. I think one of the questions they probably all have is, so how does this help me if I'm a government contractor? You know, how 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 can I utilize this as I move the business forward? Yeah. So, and this gets to why a bit of why DOD and federal agencies should care. So let's just kind of talk about what, so I told you what an opportunity zone is. It's an economically distressed community, but what are the benefits that one gets by um, by investing in an opportunity zone? And the benefits are kind of twofold. First, uh, the gains that, uh, and this is really applying capital gains. That's really what this opportunity zone um, uh, benefit is for. Those capital gains, uh, if they're used uh, uh, to support activity, economic activity in an opportunity zone and are kept in that uh, investment for a period of seven years, then 15% of that gain is excluded when uh, the tax bills eventually uh, come. So the tax is deferred and reduced if it's kept in for seven years, if it or, or for 10 years. If it's kept in, in, in further, any gains made on those gains are tax-free. Hmm. And in a way, it's kind of like if folks are familiar with a Roth IRA, for example, right. It's kind of that. It's a post uh, after tax investment, and it, and those gains are on gains are tax free. Um, so that's the appeal. Now for the federal for your federal contractors, what's interesting and in, in a lot of my experience with opportunity zones kind of is that nexus with the Defense Department, um, and there's a really an interesting reason why. There's a plenty of folks out there on the commercial real estate side where uh, where we saw a lot of the initial effort with opportunity zones, and I think uh, that's kind of not my background expertise, but there's plenty of people out there that can kind of talk through that. What's interesting for DOD specifically is that one third of all DOD bases in the United States are in an opportunity zone. Mm. If you expand that to those bases that are in, partially in, or directly adjacent to opportunity zones, you get close to 50% of bases are in that. Okay, so that's interesting. Now, obviously, DOD itself does not have capital gains, so they can't directly right. benefit from that, right? But if you think about a project that might take place on a base, there's some significant benefits to uh, where, where the, the Defense Department might be able to um, help strike a, or might be able to get a better deal, if you will, a better project deal as a result of them being in uh, partially in or adjacent to an opportunity zone. Um, and so there may be some you know, more difficult investments uh, that, that would otherwise be difficult to make uh, pencil out. And now because they're in opportunity zone, it, it might be easier. So that, that I think that's a, a big part. Now, a lot of folks ask, well, what is that that difference? I think generally folks co are commonly understood, it's about a, a 500 basis points improvement or 5% improvement on a project. So if you had a project with a return on investment of 6%, if it's in an opportunity zone, rough order magnitude, rule of thumb, all of a sudden now that's a 10, 11% mm. return on investment. Mm. And so now the, and you can think uh, there could be some 
sharing of those benefits, if you will, for a um, uh, for a project and for DoD. So if I'm listening to this, one of the, the questions that I would have is based on what you said, it sounds like my company doesn't necessarily have to be located in the opportunity zone, but the project does. Am I hearing that right? That's that's right. You got that exactly right. It's not the, the company, it's it's the project. So in the case of DoD, uh, you know, there are you know entire bases that are in an opportunity zones and and that is uh, and if there's work that can be done uh, you know to identify a, a specific project that project could be for example uh, building uh, putting installing energy storage uh, batteries for mm-hmm. example could be a, a new building. Um, the Defense Department has some unique authorities in things like enhanced use leases. Well, there could be an interesting coupling of enhanced use lease um, authority within opportunity zones to drive even more value for both the developer as well as the government. I could definitely see that as a, that's an eye-opener for me because I know when you look at the traditional like hub zone, when I think of hub zone, I've got to be located in here and doing the work that way, you know. So in, in this situation, I can look at projects and say, well, this project is located in an opportunity zone and project number two is not, we can tip, you know, we can double our our profit from this 5% to 10, 11% if we go this route versus the other route. Again, just for for clarification, am I saying that correctly? I I think there's a little nuance here. So there definitely are some adjacencies and some work that can be coupled within a project. There's a rule, I think, uh, and again, many of these rules have come up part after the legislation was put in place gotcha. uh, because it caught some folks uh, uh, by surprise that when it when it actually made it through and, and approved um, but I think it's a basically a two-thirds rules the way I've heard it described mm-hmm. which which means that two-thirds of the project has to t- physically takes take place within the opportunity zone proper uh, roughly a third of that can take place and it has to be just outside or adjacent to that opportunity zone so it can't be something that's a uh, 10 miles down the road or across the country it'd have to be something because again the, the the idea of opportunity zones is really to help out those economically distressed communities I and you. i was really trying to keep that investment locally i got you so like if, if i'm a, a software development company and i am located you know, 30 miles from the zone, but I'm doing the project in the zone, as long as we're doing it on site, it, it should probably apply. But if for some reason I'm doing part of the work on site and say 50% at our offices, then it may not qualify for that. Is is that kind of yeah, what I'm hearing? That's right. Yeah. So you really want to, it's really about the location, the census track, if you will. Um, there, the, uh, there are some great maps out there that are available online that will show exactly where every, um, opportunity zone is located and and you can see kind of down to the street level where, where that is but it has to take place really in that zone uh, or primarily within that zone or directly adjacent to it and, and kind you. of follow as i understand it that two-thirds rule and so in the case you just decided it could absolutely do, you know you could use that for say a data center um, as well as maybe some workforce housing, right? So there's, a, there's no, uh, there are some limitations on um, what it can be used for. Um, it, it can't be used for uh, liquor stores and uh, and kind of massage uh, or or, uh, uh, or you know some other adult entertainment type of uh, location. Yeah. But it can be used for kind of more traditional business uses. I gotcha. Yeah, and, and that that all makes sense. And so again, if I'm hearing this and thinking about it. 
I would be looking at opportunities and saying, hey, maybe we chase this one versus that one based on something like this because we, we can make more profit on it and we have more of an opportunity to win that business. But, uh, you know, when I'm also looking at this, I see opportunities to expand kind of the, the, the work that people do. And let me ask this. So do you see it mostly used in construction or do you see uh, a, a type of work that is not done in this? Or is it really a little bit of everything, whether it's IT, recruit, like is everything kind of falling under this? Or what, what have you seen? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. I, I would say the very early returns on this, when this was first released, uh, really uh, you saw a lot of kind of more traditional real estate deals. And frankly, gotcha. real estate deals that probably would have happened regardless of this, of opportunity zones being in existence. And they took advantage of that being in, in existence and drove greater returns. Okay, so that 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 kind of move is passed. And so now you see, certainly you'll see a, a fair amount of real estate projects, but you're seeing a lot of things that are more focused broadly on impact. And what, is that, what mm-hmm. do I mean by that? And so things that are looking at workforce housing, things that are looking at job creation in an area uh, through, you know, maybe creating, um, you know, opportunities for small startups to have, uh, a, you know, kind of a, a place to work and things like that. And you're also seeing it used for things like energy. Um, be it uh, renewable energy, uh, resilience in the form of energy storage and things like that, you're starting to see those those types of projects as well. So it is a pretty wide range of, uh, of things. Uh, and as long as you kind of get outside of what are commonly referred to as kind of those uh, traditional sin businesses, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically anything can apply. Do you see this uh, appearing in RFPs or is this something that I mean, it's really on the the business owner to to know about this that they're doing work in an opportunity zone. Like, what, it's really, what do you uh, see? It's really more the latter. And as you think about, uh, it's really more that you know they're going to have to do it. It's, I don't see it necessarily coming up in RFP. Uh, it, although, to the extent you have a team that has familiarity with opportunity zones and may have access to capital via a qualified opportunity fund, that could be a distinguishing factor in an RFP, for example. Okay. Um, but you know, as it relates to DOD and and I've had the, the the honor and opportunity to brief all of the military departments on what opportunity zones are and why they should care. Um, and so I've done that uh, over the past couple of years. But really, as I look at it, it's really going to be from the federal contractors coming to DOD. Mm-hmm. I think DOD just has so much on their plate to go out on their own and ask the yep. private sector to tell them what they can do on opportunity zones. I think a, a better approach may be the private sector coming in and saying, here, you know, we'd like to propose some projects on enhanced use lease combined with opportunity zones in these areas that are aligned to your goals on resilience, on energy, on uh, on development. And mm. as you think about where DOD is in general and the federal budget, you know, I think we're going to be in a pressurized budget environment for some years to come. And this may be a way to leverage existing tools out there to get to, to make greater use of the money that they do have. Oh, that, that makes perfect sense. It, so like when you're talking about that, what I was thinking was, like most things in business, it's really on me as a business owner to understand tax rules, laws, those those kind of things. But when you get into the the tax side of thing for your small business, you know, it's on you to to understand even the simple things like how you pay yourself using your salary versus you know um, you know shareholder distributions, different things like that. But also other tax you know implications of of how you can use your money for tax deductions and things like that. It's it's on you largely 
to understand that. But then when I when I'm looking at this, if it's not going to show up in RFPs, which I probably I didn't think it probably would, but if it's not going to do this, it's also on you to be able to educate the government on on like you were saying there why they should care about this so that you can help influence an acquisition. D- does that sound like yeah, kind of on target? That, that is that Mike? That's exactly right. I think um, not surprisingly, in part because it was so new, but also because it seemed uh, you know just by you know the way it was created it seemed to be something for the private sector. Um, you know, I, I, I will say commonly, when as I mentioned this to various defense officials, they had no idea that roughly half of their bases were in, partially in, mm. or adjacent to an opportunity zone and further why that mattered to them. And as you, as you start to explain it to them, they, they, they got it immediately. Like everyone, yeah. okay, I get it. There's 500 basis points on the table that can make a project go from upside down to right side up. And could be something that could, where they can share in that additional value that's being created through right. opportunity zones. I haven't taken place person or taken part personally in a lot of real estate stuff, but I've been on the fringe of it and I have a lot of friends in those businesses. And I can't tell the listeners how often they look at a deal or or somebody comes to us with a deal and you start doing the numbers and it, it it's close, but it's a no brainer that you can't do it. Like you just can't make money at it. It's too tight. And so to be able to look at a deal that was off the table and now it's on the table is really a game changer for a lot of folks. So I think yeah. that that's a that's a big deal. So in in your mind, what should the the or what would you recommend DOD and federal agencies do with regard to opportunity zones? Well, first, um, you know, uh, get educated, right? Um, know what the what it you know, and, and the rules are evolving um, and and being enhanced because again, this wasn't something where they had all the rules set before they passed the legislation. It was the reverse, and so so you know, an expert today is not an expert tomorrow. So just kind right. of being on top of that and understanding what it all means and 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 then further understanding kind of what locations that they might have, again, be you a federal agency or or a department of defense, what locations you might have that might be in a, or partially in or, or adjacent to, and then understanding what your priorities are and trying to map all that together where if you know, for example, you're interested in a resiliency project um, to make sure that you have assured power at a base, um, you know, that's a, that's a, high capital expense um, opportunity that the federal government and defense department just doesn't have the resources for. But, you know, going through something like this, it, it may turn a project that would have been more difficult into something that's now likely because there's, again, there's this um, additional benefit on the table that, that could be present. So I would encourage them to, to do that, to, um, you know, uh, to do, you know, if they need to do some of the things, but do it quickly, um, mm-hmm. just because some of these benefits have a have a time clock on them. So I mean, okay. things that they could do is uh, do something like industry days, or invite industry in to actually talk about what bases and talk about their priorities and engage in industry and understand their questions as it relates to opportunity zones, and then from there formulate a plan on, on how to execute. So that's something I would encourage them to do. Um, and then you know, those federal contractors out there, you know, they may be uh, able to, I, I think they would be in a good position to be able to bring some really good ideas, questions, and and, and, and projects uh, that DOD could execute on. Yeah, no, that, that's great advice. And, you know, I think in, in this situation, because we're talking about percentage points on deals, I would say to, to people listening, the larger you grow, the more important this is probably going to be. And with, with that brings the question of, is there a cap on this as far as like size standards or anything like that. I don't know if that's in any of the rules. I haven't really done a lot of research on it, but 
you know, is, is it only applying to smaller businesses? Is there no limitation at this point? Just just the focus being, hey, we want to develop these opportunity zones at no cost. Uh, right. You know, what what's your, your so, take so on that? I'm not uh, aware of, have not seen any caps that have been put in place. I think if folks have, you know, a, a great resource for folks is going to the IRS uh, webpage and just do a quick search on IRS gotcha. and zones and FAQs. But there's really nothing on there that talks about any any caps, and I haven't seen that in, in um, anything. There there are some restrictions, not many, on the types of cap, uh, capital gains that can be applied. So things like real estate sales, um, stock sales, all of those are capital gains that are eligible. Um, there are some exceptions that are not. But for, uh, for most people, as they think about capital gains um, that can be applied, that's um, most just almost all of those are going to be applicable here. Gotcha. Um, so. Yeah, there's no no real gains. And so it's really, I mean, if you think about it, there's many people out there that have owned stock in a company for decades, right? And have chosen not to sell because of the capital gains hit. And well, this is a great opportunity to defer um, the the tax uh, hit on those capital gains for up to 10 years. And then uh, any gains made on those gains to have that um, be tax-free. Uh, it's a really interesting um, a way to do that and, and you know, Estimates out there, they're in the trillions of dollars that could be potentially unlocked um, uh, and applied into opportunity zones. Yeah, I could see a, a, a lot of opportunity there. I, I see a lot of opportunity for uh, for a negative side, uh, just like with anything where people, you know, instead of just deferring and putting aside that money, actually spend it. You know, I, I could I could see that. You know, it's when the when they came through with all this this COVID relief stuff and and gave us the opportunity to like suspend certain taxes. I was like, nope, nope, not at all. We're just going to keep paying things just as normal. And that's what we recommended to people. But uh, you know, if, if you're disciplined and and you know what you're doing, then then you shouldn't have an issue here. But you know, the the last question I have around this is I I think I know the answer, but just in in case I I have the wrong. Uh, answer here is do you know if there are any actually i have two questions one is do you know if there's any paperwork required other than when at tax time when you're going through your filings is there any other paperwork required to you know for an opportunity that went through one of these zones to designate those funds and again i'm assuming it's probably going to be just in in your taxes where you deal with that yeah so this is where i would say consult your tax advisor right um and and the answer is yes there'll be some additional things to to determine you know when you put your money in, um, you know, so when you realized your gain, that starts a clock. From that date, you have 180 days to put it into a qualified opportunity fund. And so these are private funds out there that, you know, some of them will be focused on real estate opportunity zones. Some will be fo- focused on kind of uh, workforce housing and impact or energy and things like that. But it has to go in that fund within 180 days. I got you. Um, and then it has to be begin to be applied. And so there are definitely some rules there that def I would definitely recommend folks consult their tax advisor um, on that on that question. Yeah, and that was actually you hit on my last question there because I was thinking you know if if I just heard about this so like let's say I'm in my car today I'm listening to this podcast and I say to myself well everything we do is on a military base for the last 
20 years, how far can I go back? And it sounds like you can't. It, if it's not in the last 180 days, you're not going to be able to go back on that. But you can know this now and move forward. Does that sound right? Yeah, my understanding is that this cannot be applied retroactively. Again, this came into being in December of 2017, but really in earnest when the rules began to come out in April of 2018. And so that's when okay. it took place. And, and just so folks know, it applies to to all 50 states and uh, and five uh, the District of Columbia and, and five U.S. territories. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, for there's been some modifications over time to that. One notable and, and, and really good idea is in places that have been hit by, um, you know, major events like Puerto Rico, basically the entire, nearly the entire island uh, of Puerto Rico and, mm-hmm. and its pointing islands are uh, in an opportunity zone now. Okay. That was original case, but it is now, right? That and makes so sense. And just given the, the impacts of Hurricanes Irma and Maria and, uh, and, and, and now attracts that type of investment. Same is true for the Virgin Islands, um, maybe not as, as widespread as what Puerto Rico has, but you're starting to see this idea coming up that says, hey, where an area might have been hit by a, a major disaster, those are maybe a future opportunity zones as well that's that's awesome you know uh not the disasters but the way that it's been applied you know the the thing that i want people to get out of this episode here today is this is not something you have to go out and hunt down and and do and earn if you're doing the work you've already earned it you know if you're you're doing the work in one of these zones you've earned it you just may not be educated on how to apply this at tax time and what you need to do in between now and tax time so if if you land a contract in january you don't need to wait or you shouldn't in fact maybe can't wait till the end of the year to claim this and put it in there since it needs to be in that 180 days you need to be aware of this so that you can actually move forward and take advantage of this again this happens to us in business all the time where there's these little loopholes these little rules laws whatever you want to call them and if you don't know about them you can't take advantage of them but if you do know about them you can take advantage of this and make the company some extra money you can contribute to these zones and do do a great thing it really is a win-win-win for everybody that's involved so educate yourself on where you're doing the work is it an opportunity zone the odds are if you're doing it on a military base you know like tom said you probably are in one of these zones but take a look at the contracts you're performing on the ones you're looking at in the future because you want to make sure you don't miss out on these opportunities they can be game changers for a company to add an extra five six percent to your bottom lines it's a pretty big deal tom is there anything we miss is there anything you want to leave people People with on this one? No, I would just underscore kind of that point, which is, you know, if you're, you know, make sure you understand any project that you're about to undertake is whether it's in adjacent to or, or um, partially in an opportunity zone, do that from day one, make sure you understand that trying to kind of forensically put this back into place as you're kind of in mid project or at the end of the project uh, is, is unlikely to yield yeah, success. It's and difficult. So yeah. it, so I would say just just to emphasize that point and and uh, further you know as we re- relates to DoD and, and the federal agencies you know it would behoove folks the federal contractors to get smart on this so they can kind of continue to work with their counterparts in government to make sure they're aware of the potential um, benefits that that and value that they can all share in. Yeah, no, that that's a great point, and I think 
if more contractors would get educated, uh, they can definitely help influence those acquisitions and, and educate these these government folks because it, it's not like the government folks have a shortage of things to do on their plate right now, right? So anytime we can educate them on something, it, you don't have to act like you know it all, but anytime you can just say, hey, I, I know this isn't an opportunity zone. If they look at you with the deer in the headlights, oh, you're not aware of opportunity zone. Let me talk to you about that. You know, so, so getting, uh, you don't have to be an expert either, but getting just a little educated so you can bring some ammunition to the table here. I think that's a really good point there, Tom. So thank you for coming on and talking about this. I think it's been very helpful. This is, again, it's one of those things that can easily be a game changer because it's not like companies have to go out and do anything in addition to what they're already doing. They just have to be smarter about how they play the game. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.